Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Beware the Board, a horror podcast where we watch a randomly selected horror movie every single week. I'm Bob. I'm Ben. Hey, Ben. Hey, Bob. You are so sad now. You were fine 10 seconds ago, and then you clapped to start the episode. Now you sound sad. Yeah. What ails you, my friend? I don't know. General sadness, I guess. Oh. Well, you're used to it at this point, you know? You should see a doctor. I don't I don't have it. I'm not a psychiatrist. I can't help you with that. So um I guess we can start with horror news. Yeah. Or I mean, look, I don't really have any news. I just wanted to bring up a point I talked about last week. Yeah, which was the Five Nights at Freddy's movie. Mm-hmm. Um I stand by my my point of that movie was boring as shit. Sure. Right. But since I I've seen it because like when I went to see it, it was like what the week of release, basically. Mm-hmm. No, it, it did literally like just come out. There has been like a bunch of reviews that come out, and um, apparently there's a bunch of lore shit in those that movie mm-hmm. that uh, fans are enjoying. Like if you check all the scores on like Metacritic and like Rotten Tomatoes and stuff like that, it looks like it's a pretty wide divide between critic and audience scores. The audience scores have looked like the high eighties. And the critic scores have been like pretty consistently at thirty percent, which tells me that there's a lot of stuff there for like fans, mm-hmm. but it's very evidently not a good movie. So if you don't have that enjoyment of like, ooh, an Easter egg, yeah, no, it's it's not fun. I I wouldn't have that. Like I look, I'm on the internet a lot. I know vaguely about Five Nights at Freddy's. But I'm not, like, one of those people that's, like, read into all the lore and played all the games and shit. No, I basically know nothing. I yeah. didn't have a good time. So, I think I'm going to update my review from last week and say, you know, if you're a fan, apparently you're going to go enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, I told Ben this before the movie, but I have a friend, Jason, who watches the show. And he was messaging me, like, hey, you guys are going to watch Five Nights at Freddy's for the podcast? And I was like, no. And this was before Freaks had come out, so we he, had, he hadn't heard uh, you talk about it. He was like, okay, well, here's my spoiler-free review of it. It has a lot of good... I liked it, and it has a lot of good lore stuff. So that was kind of my takeaway when you mentioned that just now. It's like, okay, if I were more of like a Five Nights at Freddy's enjoyer, I think I could sit down and probably watch it and have a good time. But I'm not, so I'm probably not going to watch it. Yeah, I, I will say, though, that I don't think that's a good thing because, like, A, your movie should appeal to... General audiences, mm-hmm. just in general. Well, like, especially a PG-13 movie. Right. And so if your film's only really enjoyable for people who like have done all this work researching and stuff, I think in general that's kind of an issue. Mm-hmm. However, I think it's more of an issue because it just means your film is not good <laughs> if you need all this like outwards effort to actually enjoy it. And it makes me hesitant to... like say the film will be good for a long time for fans, right? Yeah. Because if the enjoyment is just looking at the film and going, oh, here's all these Easter eggs, I'm not sure how good that's going to be on, like, rewatch, especially, like, having watched it multiple times. No, that makes sense. So it might be one of those films that, like, oh, yeah, there's all these cool Easter eggs. But on second and third watch, it's like, okay, but there's not a interesting plot going on. Mm-hmm. Be wary of that. If you did enjoy the movie, because you might be super hyped and buy it and then rewatch it a couple times to be like, oh, don't want to watch this ever again. Fair enough. Um, on that note, though, I don't really have anything else to share for news. Do you have anything? 
No, I don't have anything. I didn't see anything that really piqued my interest this week when I was like, because normally when I'm just scrolling through Twitter, normally you send me a lot of bullshit. I send you a lot of bullshit, like trailers or like. I don't think I got any bullshit this no, week. No, I, well, I was also very busy, but yeah, nothing super new. I will say, I had it was my friend Cotton's birthday party last week. Yeah, I think it was last week, and we hung out and like had pizza and watched movies and stuff. We had some people over there over at his house. His baby got escorted off to his grandparents, so we didn't have a screaming child. Banished. Yeah, banished to the Shadow Realm. And we wa- rewatched Return of the Living Dead. Great film. Because I haven't seen it since we... I might have rewatched it like once since Maybe. we watched it for the podcast. You had to get some clips from it. I had to get some clips from it. Um, That movie is so funny and still holds up. Oh, yeah. I was stunned by how enjoyable that film was on like full rewatch with a bunch of other people that's why i really like it as a zombie film it's because most zombie films are good but they're not necessarily super fun to rewatch yeah like i like day of the dead right oh man i think it's great do i necessarily want to rewatch it all the time i mean i i do no i watch it more than i probably should yeah but it's not like i want to say an enjoyable experience really yeah, because it's a good film, but it's also just very dark and bleak, and that's not necessarily something most people want for um, casual enjoyment. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. I do that. I, I love well, sad, fucked up shit like that. You hate yourself and are depressed. So. No, 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 no. <laughs> that's not what it is. But for like a lot more casual enjoyment, you usually want something a little bit more fun and Return of the Living Dead is just pure fun. Yeah, no. Like, I watched it with a bunch of people that had never seen it before, and I've never, like, Jesse was literally laughing, like, the entire time. And it was... Oh, it's so funny. It's so funny. Especially because there's stuff you don't necessarily catch. Like, mm-hmm. did they catch the Nazi thing? Oh, I, I set it up before the show, before the movie started. I went, I want you guys to pay attention to this Ernie guy and tell me if there's anything you notice. <laughs> 20 minutes later, Jesse went, is he a Nazi? I went, yes. Yeah. He is, and that's funny. No, the split dog thing got Jesse so hard, and I laughed at it too because it's still funny. Like, oh, that movie is so stupid and fun. I just thought I like to bring up uh, things I rewatch on the podcast because, A, it's the only thing I can do in terms of horror movies. I can only rewatch stuff because this podcast has got a stranglehold on me. Uh, And, B, it's nice to, like, talk about stuff we've reviewed on the show before and, like, Make sure that maybe we were being objective whenever we reviewed it the first time. Yeah. Because I don't n- remember back in season one, I think it was like episode six, were we doing scores of one through five back then? No, we were doing one through ten in season one. Was it one through ten? But it also wasn't how good was the movie. It was a different scale. I think th- for the first like while, it was like, how scary was it? Yeah. I mean, things have changed. Things have changed. We've also gotten better at stuff, so... Yeah. It's just one of those things. Outside of that, though, our stuff, the Halloween Horror Awards finally got here. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. God, that knife is so ridiculous. I love it. It's 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 wild. It's awesome. It's basically a shitty sickle. Yeah, but it's a knife. It's pretty awesome. Uh, But, you know, aside from that, though, I guess we can get into the actual episode. Yeah. I guess we can start the episode then. All right, uh, we got all three categories today. Bob's, you know, taking a space from all of them, but we got my category, which is Slurposaurs, which is, you know, that effect where it's like, hey, let's have a real animal play something it's not. There's uh, 
the random, which was also my pick from last season, which is pre-code movies, and then Bob's category, which was um, something. But I <coughs> I strive to get good movies in there, which is neo monster movies. God damn you! So, I re- I really look. I tried. Okay, man. You tried, and I'm proud of you for trying. But maybe next season I'll have a good one. Maybe next season. I already picked mine for next season. Yeah, I've I've been deep in thought about what I want to do for next season. And I, I'm gonna put this out here. I know it's a major fear for some people. Mm. A major, major fear for some people. Okay. I don't know what you could but be picking, but it scares some me. Some people are really into it, so What are you you're it's like kind of it's kind of one of those weird things where some people are terrified of it and then some people are like very, very into it. I don't know what you're hinting at, but I don't like the implication at all. <laughs> and it makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> um, Moving on, because I don't want any more of this conversation. I don't know what I want to pick, because... And I was talking to Ben about this before we started recording, because I'm mad about it. I'm not mad. I'm just a bit upset, I guess. This season's a bit weird. We've watched a single actual horror film on this podcast. No, we've watched two actual horror films. The last one... Is horror? Yeah, see, you said when horror. it came out. Yeah, freaks is freaks but it is wasn't, horror. It, it wasn't scary. You're telling me Johnny with a gun isn't okay, scary? Okay, Johnny with a gun was pretty terrifying, but that's separate. Okay, that's not separate. That's in the movie. My point is, since this is my one time a week to get to watch a horror movie on the podcast, my gut tells me let's go to neo monster movies, but then I'm just gonna restart the cycle. And do them in order again. But my gut tells you you should pick Slurposaurus. <laughs> Ben's also been hinting he wants me to pick Slurposaurus really bad. Like It's not a hint. It's just me blatantly being like, I want my category. Yeah, I know. But Let's watch a shitty movie. I don't know. I'm just in a weird spot where like I want to watch a horror movie. So the thing is, I could pick Precode and we might get a actual Precode horror movie. Because I don't know what the other two films are. I just know that Freaks was not a horror movie by our standards. So I'm I'm in a bit of a pickle, Benjamin. What type of pickle? Like dill or I hate pickles, they're disgusting. Bread and butter. I'm gonna pick I'm gonna do pre code films again. No, you double one up? Yeah. Fuck it. Maybe we'll get an actual scary movie. Like something actually terrifying. Okay. What do I have left? I don't remember what I picked last week. You picked two last week. So you have one and three. One and three. What's in spot three? In three, uh, in three today, we're going to be watching The Invisible Man. Oh, shit. Really? Yes. Like the Oh, that's fucking actually sick. All right. So we're doing The Invisible Man today. It came out in 1933. Okay. So, I mean, still old. Well, yeah, we have a three year age range. No, I know. Uh, description If you're invisible, does your heart disappear as well? Oh, that. No, don't make this one sad, too. No, Ben, I can't do two sad movies in a row. Well, I'm not the one who chose two pre-code movies in a row. Oh, God. It's an hour and 11 minutes long. Oh, it's why are both these movies so short? Because they're old. That, that yeah, film was weird. expensive. I mean, I guess that makes sense, but I don't, it's just weird to me, I editing guess. Editing was hard. Yeah, fair enough. And filming was expensive and difficult because it was 1933. Yeah. And they hadn't really figured out what they were doing yet. Um, it's approved. <laughs> I love that. Uh, IMDb gave it a 7.6 out of 10. Okay. Tomato Meter gave it a 94%. Oh, thank God. And an audience score of 85%. 
I've heard so many good things about this movie. Some of them from me. Some of them from you, but just generally good things about this film. I love The Invisible Man. I got a nice little artwork of him on my wall. Is it just a blank canvas? Uh, no, it's a, it's a picture of him. Okay. He wears clothes sometimes. I was just making a joke. Yeansy clothes. Uh, awards. Uh, he's got four wins and two nominations. Uh, notable actors. Claude Rains as Dr. Jack Griffin. Uh, he played Captain Louise Renault in Casablanca. Gloria Stewart as Flora Cranley. They played the old old Rose in Titanic. Hmm. You've seen Titanic, right? Nope. No. Nope. Oh, wow. Shocker. I didn't want your actual answer. I was going to answer for you. No, I, I mean, knew. I've just never seen a lot of stuff, man. William Harrigan as Dr. Arthur Kemp. Played Johnny Brown in Nicks on Dames. Henry Travers as Dr. Cranley. Uh, Dr. Cranley, he played Clarence in It's a Wonderful Life. Una O'Connor as Jenny Hall. They played Minnie in The Bride of Frankenstein. Forrester Harvey as Herbert Hall. They played Twiddle in The Wolfman. Holmes Herbert as Chief of Police. They played Dr. Lanyon in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. E.E. Clive as Police Constable Jaffers. He played Burgomaster in The Bride of Frankenstein. Dudley Diggs as Chief of Detectives. He played Smithers in The Emperor Jones. Harry Stubbs as Inspector Bird. He played Buck Bachman in Alibi. Donald Stewart as Inspector Lane. He played Buddy and Bew Guest. Meryl Tottenham as Millie. played Dora in Night Must Fall. And then finally, Dwight Fry was in an uncredited role as a reporter. And he's very famously Renfield in Dracula. Oh, sick. There are tons of people in other, like, horror movies that, like that I've heard of in this like classic horror movies no, like it's a bunch of universal stuff yeah which is that's pretty cool this is a universal picture you just get to work back and forth yeah you know? like what the wolfman I heard referenced Dracula Bride of Frankenstein Bride of Frankenstein that's actually pretty awesome uh director's James Whale he also directed Frankenstein oh 1931 so that makes sense. sense the writer was R.C. Sheriff he also wrote uh Goodbye Mr. Chips uh, the budget is estimated at three hundred twenty-eight thousand dollars, and I couldn't find like an actual an accurate box office, but from what I could tell, it was a financial success. So, hmm. it's something. Yeah, country of origins, obviously the United States, and uh, there wasn't really a tagline, but there was the statement H.G. Wells' fantastic sensation on like basically the most famous poster. So that's kind of a tagline. As far as, like, facts go, uh, the big thing to note about this film is development for it started in about 1931 Mm -hmm. when Richard L. Scheer and Robert Florey suggested the novel would make a good follow-up for Dracula. However, the studio decided to follow up Dracula with Frankenstein Mm. rather than The Invisible Man. And so they instead entered pre-production on this movie, and this film was in pre-production for a while. Basically, multiple different scripts went through the studio mm-hmm. for like approval and then denial. And for a long time, it was thought that this film was going to be made for Boris Karloff. Do you know Boris Karloff? The Mummy, right? Yeah, he's he's his stage name was essentially the Uncanny Karloff, mm. uh, but he very famously played a bunch of Universal Monster guys. 
Okay. Um, and just horror movies in general. So he's Frankenstein. The okay. But yeah, the film was originally intended for him. And it actually went through a bunch of different directors and writers. So Flory, E.A. DuPont, Cyril Gardner were all considered for directors. And then for screenwriters, uh, John L. Balderston, Preston Sturges, and Garrett Fort. Um, oh, my God. But at the end of the day, like I said, it went to um, Whale and R.C. Sheriff in 1933. I do think it's important to note that, from what I could tell, Whale kept coming on as director and leaving the project <laughs> over and over and over again. <laughs> what the fuck? And so a lot of the directors came on, like, after him, mm-hmm. and then he would come back on, and then he'd leave. Oh, my God. That must have been hell for the studio. Yeah, and the, the studio wasn't doing good at this time either because it was pretty young and they were having some financial troubles Mm -hmm. at certain points. Um, And in fact, I couldn't find an exact reason for why Karloff didn't take this feature because at the time he had a five-year contract with Universal from my understanding. Yeah. But it seems to be there were some newspaper articles at the time that seemed to state that it was under pay reasons for why Mm. he didn't take this film. Man, even back then they were struggling to get paid. So... Well, you have to remember he's a horror actor, and I guess well, horror was probably a little bit more acceptable in the birth of cinema. Yeah, probably wasn't great. Still, you know. No, I know. In fact, I know part of the reason for one of the times Whale left the project is because he didn't want to be seen as a horror director. Really? Because he'd already done Frankenstein. He was like, "Fuck, I'll get trapped." Mm. Obviously, he eventually came back to the project, left again, and then came back. God damn. One of the times he left is because he wrote a script and they didn't like it. And he was like, fuck you, I'm leaving. <laughs> what, a, what a reason to fucking leave. Oh, uh, by the way, I said Boris Karloff played Frankenstein. I, you know I meant Frankenstein's monster, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I knew what you meant. I know. I feel like most people know what you mean unless you're one of those fucking dweebs who push up their glasses and goes, Actually, it's Frankenstein's mom. Like, shut up. Well, it is technically true because there is Victor Frankenstein and Frankenstein's I'm aware. monster. But I think generally people call Frankenstein's monster Frankenstein. Frankenstein, yeah. And then they call the scientist Victor Frankenstein. Hey, you, yeah. Anyways, next thing I want to mention is principal photography. It began in June of 1933, right at the end of the month. And it concluded in late August. And that's fast. That's fast. But I mean, honestly. Filming is the shortest part of movies, yeah. usually. And I think in a lot of modern-day movies, it gets done in, like, under a month. That's crazy. Because you get all the stuff done beforehand. Mm-hmm. Now, some directors are different, but... I think the really interesting thing about this film, though, is that it took an additional two months to complete all the special effects work for the film. Oh, uh, that makes sense. Because there is a lot of behind-the-scenes special effects mm-hmm. stuff. Which, really cool thing is, a lot of it was kept secret on set... Because they didn't want people to be, like, stealing stuff. Oh, that's rad. But this film's really well-liked by a lot of people, even at the time. In, um, you know, 1933, the New York Times declared it as one of the best films of the year. Damn. Which is super cool. That's very, very surprising to hear. Especially in 1933 for, like... Like I said, I think horror was more respected in the 30s. And then it was going into the 40s and onwards that it started to get a bad connotation. Because a lot of the early, early works of film are horror and, like, sci-fi stuff. Yeah. But in 2008, it got entered into the United States National Film Registry. Hell yeah. So that's really cool. Interesting that it's so late, though. 
Yeah, no, that is really late. Most of the things we've seen entered into the film registry were in the 90s mm-hmm. or the early 2000s, not 2008. I think that might be the latest we've yeah. seen. Yeah, no, Especially that's pretty late. For a film this old. That was my thing. Is like, this film's old as shit. You would mm-hmm. think they would have done it earlier. But I guess it's kind of one of those things of, this film probably should be in there, but we have to put in something every year. Yeah, it's probably also like a lot of paperwork to get around and stuff. Last thing I want to talk about before the movie is... I guess I'll say both things. Uh, first of all, obviously this film is based on a novel. Uh, very specifically, it's a novel by H.G. Wells. Which I've never read, but I've heard good things about the the book. Yeah, I mean, H.G. Wells is a pretty good author. But obviously the book has the same name, The Invisible Man. And it was originally serialized in Pearson's Weekly in 1897. Because, you know, that's how a lot of science fiction stuff like that mm-hmm. came out back in the day. It was in serializations, which is... Such a weird thing for me personally to think about. No, it is weird. Because we just have books and, like, fiction magazines in the same way they existed back then. Yeah. Don't really exist anymore. No, I mean, if you want to read something, you just go buy the book. Yep. I mean, don't get me wrong. There is genre magazines still, mm-hmm. but they're not as big of a deal. No. Yeah. You. I feel like back in the day, that was, like, how a lot of people... I mean, that's how Lovecraft got his start. Yeah. H.G. Wells did that, too. Lots and lots of people did it that way. Which is so weird to to read about because it's like I bought this book, but it was originally split into six or seven parts mm-hmm. across six or seven magazines. Oh yeah, coming out like weekly or monthly. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing I was going to talk about this after the movie, but might as well just say it now. This film did spawn a couple of sequels, and I think the forties, but they're generally just unrelated. Oh okay, just kind of like. Oh, we made a bunch of money in 1933. Let's make some money now. I assume they're uh, related in the fact that there is an invisible person. Yeah. Okay. And I think they're also universal films. And then, obviously, there's been a couple different adaptations. Yeah, wasn't there, like, a really new one recently? Yeah. I never saw it. One I saw with trailers. Kevin Bacon back in, I want to say, the late 90s, early 2000s. Oh, okay. There was one that just came out. That was the one I was as talking As a part about. of... Universal's attempt to do the Dark Monster universe. Oh, yeah, because weren't they going to do, like, sw- not Swamp Thing. That's that's a DC property. They they did the remake of The Mummy, which is really bad. Yeah, well, I've heard that. And that's how they started it. And that basically, by itself, tanked the project. Mm, I see. Because I see. They, they were trying to do, basically, an interconnected universe thing like Marvel was doing. But with the monsters? But with the monsters. I mean, that's kind of a cool idea. I think it was a cool concept, but I think what they I think where they went wrong is the thing they decided to start that franchise with was a very like Marvel esque movie. Mm. Like I'm gonna be honest, I've never seen the new Mummy movie. I had no interest in watching no, me it. Me either. But it it looks a lot like an action movie. I mean it has um I think Tom Cruise, right? As the main character. Oh, I have, of that no, film. I have no idea. And he just looks like he's being Tom, Tom Cruise, Cruise, you yeah. know? So it just looks like a Tom Cruise movie, like a Mission Impossible. Um, the only Mummy movie I give a shit about is the Brendan Fraser movie, The Mummy. From the right. 90s. I mean, I love that film. And that one's like a pulp adventure thing, and I think that works. I think that's the perfect way to do a movie about mummies. Don't get me wrong. That is very different from the original film, which I think sure. is good in its own way, but very different. Again, getting back to it, though, I think my issue is that, again, they made a an action kind of movie. Instead of a horror movie? Instead of a horror movie. Because even the 1999 Mummy with Brendan Fraser is horror. Yeah, it's, it's, it's supposed to 
have horror elements, Todd. It's campy and it's pulp, but it's horror. And I mean, the same way, like, something like Return is, like, fun. Yeah. It's fun, but it's also supposed to be scary. But again, the, it just looked too much like a, a superhero movie, just from the trailers and everything. Fair enough. Not to mention, the mummy isn't the mummy. It's just a mummy? Well, it's, I don't I don't even know. It's some other character that, it's a mummy, mm. and it's some evil person. I don't know, but it's not Imhotep, who is mm. the mummy. I see. So I, I think they just, they got off to this super rough start, and no one was interested and I, I think that just kind of tanked it, which sucks because yeah. that new Invisible Man movie, super good. Really? Yeah. I will say it's very different, mm. and it's not necessarily like what I'd want from okay. an Invisible Man feature just because I love this original one so much. Sure. It's kind of like it's its own thing, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Okay. And it, it does very pretty differently from like the Invisible Man. However, uh, mm. it's a decent film. Yeah, I never saw the new one. I just saw trailers and stuff when it was coming out and went, oh, that looks semi-interesting. Yeah, it's it's, it's, to it. it's decent. Different. Oh, decent. we could, if we ever pull the remakes or and or sequels category, we could watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, I do prefer this one, though. Okay, I mean, fair enough. I mean, obviously. This one's just a classic. I mean, yeah, that I feel like that's how it goes with most Universal Monster stuff. It's like... The first one is usually yeah. the best one. And again, I think part of it is just the simple fact that these ones are very gothic mm-hmm. in a way that a lot of the other ones aren't trying to recreate, which mm-hmm. kind of sucks. Yeah. Again, I think that's my, my biggest issue with that new uh, Invisible Man movie. It's very much, it's a good movie, but it's very much a modern interpretation mm-hmm. of the Invisible Man. And I'm like, that's great. But I want a classic interpretation of the Invisible Man. Yeah. Or not classic interpretation, but I want the classic Invisible Man just as a modern. You want that classic feeling. Yeah. Without losing all of its all all of the elements you could do with a modern film. Yeah. And I think having a, a universal monster universe of movies that's just like modern versions of the originals of that. Be pretty sweet. That would be pretty sweet, but we're we're not gonna get it. So, could you imagine? Look, I was supposed to there. I've never seen a Universal monster movie. No, this one's your first. It's my first one. Popping your cherry. Uh, ooh, <laughs> and like that. Uh, but like a Wolfman versus Frankenstein movie would be sick. Uh, a la Freddy versus Jason or something does stupid. That exist? Might exist. It might exist. Might be stupid. That's they, fine. They did a bunch of crossovers. See, l- hell yeah, let's watch those back at in the some day. Point. But they were made in like. I want to say the 40s and the 50s. See, that sounds like fun. But they're really cheesy. Amazing. However, Perfect. though, I, I just love the, the old gothic feel. And it would just be nice to see in a modern day. Yeah. With, like, modern production and everything. Because, mm-hmm. I don't know, these films are just old. And I really like them. But it'd be interesting. Sure. On that note, though, I think we're just going to get into the movie. Yeah. We'll uh see you guys in a minute. Hi everybody, welcome back. We just finished watching The Invisible Man. How'd you like it, Bob? Okay, and maybe I'll get some shit for this. It's fine. It's fine? It's fine. Oh, okay. I I don't know. I think, I think my big thing is I was not blown away, but the most impressive part of this movie, and this is something I wanted to say a minute ago, but I stopped myself because, you know, 
I should probably save it for the part of the podcast yeah. where we talk about the movie. Sometimes you go, I'm going to tell you this thing right after we're done watching it. I'm like, that's really cool, Bob, but yeah, I we're going to record it. in 30 seconds. Uh, the most impressive part of this film is, you know, going in, I was like, oh, it's a movie about an invisible man. There'll be an invisible man. The amount of invisible man in this film is so much. Yeah, the the most impressive thing about this film is the um, like the visual effects. Yeah. Practical effects. Um it's just all super, super impressive. It's so impressive, especially for nineteen what thirty three. Yep, that's what's nuts. That's where I'm like, holy shit! I can't believe this looks that good. Yeah, and we'll, we'll get into that in a second. But do you mind if I like start talking about? Sure. The premise. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the premise is relatively simple, although I I don't think it's necessarily what people are expecting, right? Yeah. No, it surprised me for sure. But generally, what's happened is uh, this guy Jack Griffin. He's a chemist, and he's made this concoction that turns him invisible. Just as kind of like a scientific experiment, assumedly for the sake of it, mm-hmm. you know. And obviously the uh, the funds he will get from it and the accolades and stuff like that. And he's turned himself invisible because he just tested it on himself, and he doesn't have a way to turn himself back. And so his main driving force, you know, the invisible man's main driving force, is fixing himself Mm -hmm. however where the like the horror comes from is the fact that kind of the key ingredient in the formula he used is driving him insane and that is forwarded by the fact that he's now invisible and can basically get away with anything he wants yep and so basically the whole film is uh this character's descent into madness as he runs around invisible and causes havoc um so that's that's the premise roughly Mm mm-hmm and, um, you know, spoilers, we're going to get into some stuff. Don't think we need a spoiler section this time. No. Because there's nothing really, like, to spoil. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think the only thing to spoil is the fact that he's gradually going insane. But it's hard to mention that without mentioning the plot, you know? Yeah. But we'll try to keep it light on spoilers, even though this came out almost 100 years ago. In fact, it came out 90 years ago now. But God damn. I guess we can j- get into it. Do you want to start with some of the practical effects stuff? Yeah. So we totally can. I, that oh, it's so cool. It's really really great because parts of the film they do this really interesting effect where it's Claude Rains wearing clothes, mm-hmm. but you can't see his body parts. Yeah. Which is really 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 cool. Do you know how they did that? I actually don't. It's essentially like old school green screen. Okay. My understanding is they had him in a black like velvet bodysuit. Holy shit. And then they would shoot the scenes in a black background mm-hmm. and superimpose that footage over the actual footage of the environment they wanted him to be in. That's cool. Uh, it's really, really cool. Um, it's a very, very classic technique. They would do the same thing in the old uh, Lumiere Brother films mm-hmm. way back in the, the birth of cinema. But the thing that's like much more difficult about that than you think is because, A, obviously they're doing it physically so you have to then go through with Mm -hmm. this footage and like hand by hand like overlay it but the the real big challenge is they would have to match the lighting on claude rames's character you know jack griffin Mm -hmm. with the environment he's in oh since he's in a different place that was a very very big struggle with it and they use that effect a lot oh it's everywhere Uh, i assumedly that's what they spent two months doing yeah they so had that, to have. That tells you, like, oh, this was the thing that took so much work. And so the fact that they use it 
more than once. Oh, they use it a ton. Is so, so, so impressive. Especially because, remember, this is 1933. No one's probably really seen anything like this before. No, yeah. And that's that's the thing of, like, I said the movie's fine. For a movie from the period, it's crazy impressive. Because, I mean, like I said, this is a technique. This um, I'm just going to call it basically an early green screen effect has been used before, but probably not for making things, like, invisible like this. Mm-hmm. Um, that's very, very weird. It's usually used to superimpose things into a scene. Yeah. So that's probably the most interesting effect there, especially when they do some really cool real-time stuff of the whole movie. Uh, the Invisible Man has, like, this outfit on, which is so sick. It's wrapped bandages around his head mm-hmm. and um, then these wraparound sunglasses. And he'll take them off slowly and reveal the invisibility. Yeah. It's wild. Because I, I just want to mention now there's some scenes where you can see inside of his head. Yep. Like you can ju- – there are parts where he's halfway off the bandages and you can see just like through it and see the back of the bandages. And it's, he's like outlined by it. It's, it's so wild. sick. But that's kind of one of the really big effects. And then the other one is just general rigged scenery mm-hmm. to like create the effect of – the Invisible Man moving stuff. Yeah. Even when they don't have to, like, green screen him in. And that's what the majority of the effects are in this film. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, they are probably, at least for me, the most impressive part of the film. No, they are, because there's so many of them. There's so many of them. They're there all the time. And, well, you know, for the time, I think the the early green screening was the more impressive effect from a technical standpoint. Mm-hmm. All these staging stuff, I think, is more impressive for me nowadays because it just is so well done Mm -hmm. for most of it. I'm like, I know you have to be using wires and tracks and stuff, but I don't see them. That's the thing is a, you can't see the wires and everything like that, but B they've managed to make all the wire stuff look like natural. Like there's an actual person moving them and they're not just like moving across the screen in a straight line. Yeah. They're like wobbly and like almost it feels real. Like it feels like a human being is doing that. Yeah, it's just so impressive. I think, for me, there's a really, really impressive scene where the Invisible Man is stacking some books and then mm-hmm. floating them out the window. And I looked at that scene, and I was like, I actually don't really know how they did that. Because no. it's just yeah. so impressive. I know they use some um, reverse footage stuff for some of the scenes and stuff like oh, that. Oh, really? They had to. There's one scene where someone throws a bicycle yeah. at a crowd, and I'm like, they probably did that backwards. You know, they, they had to use every trick in the book. God, him riding the bike looks so cool. It just looks so natural, and that's kind of what I want to mention here. The bike riding scene is one of the few effects where it, it looks super cool, but I'm like, I know how that was done. Oh, really? There's a very obviously track in the ground. Oh, really? The bike I didn't is notice pulled it. along. Um, and because it's it's before they had, like, the gear chain, so it's like a, when you pull the back tire, it moves the, mm-hmm. the pedals, so it looks oh. like he's riding it. But even then, that one's really easy to overlook because – the track in the ground kind of looks like a tread from like a carriage or something. Mm. But yeah, all the effects are really great. And if I was going to recommend the the movie for one thing, it would be for the effects. Yeah. The other thing I really like about this film though is the fact that it's so old that there's some weird cinema stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't you know. You mentioned that, if but I Bob didn't catch picked, anything crazy. Yeah, you didn't pick up on anything. I I think that's because it's very subtle. So, we're in the 30s now. Movies have been coming out for a while. So, a lot of the weird cinema stuff in this film is still pretty polished, Mm -hmm. you know? But there's a lot of weird stuff that 
really hasn't fully developed into what we would think of as modern cinema. So one of the most obvious things that you see in this film is, first of all, there's a lot of cuts. Yeah, I noticed that. There's a lot, a lot of cuts. Partially that's because of the effects, but one of the really big reasons for how many cuts there are is because when they have characters talking and showing emotion, this film uh, makes the decision to focus on their faces. Yeah, it would do the cut, like zoom on the face like a classic movie would. Which is a very, uh, it's, a, it's a stage thing. Yeah. That's why they do it. It's because it's this very early cinema where they weren't comfortable showing like characters interacting and talking and showing emotion that way. Mm-hmm. So instead they cut to their faces and they have them do these very um, over-the-top expressions and stuff like that. Yeah. And that, that's uh, still a carryover from them adapting to stage. Um, and it's it's throughout this film, and I, I think it's just super interesting. No, yeah, I noticed that for sure. There were a couple of moments where I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, and you noticed it, so it, it's weird. But there's also some more, like, super obvious stuff that can just slip past you, and there's a really, really big one that Bob missed during the movie. Do you know what I'm talking about? The one where you were like, do you, you see it? Yeah, and I was like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, so there's one scene, and it's this really, really impressive shot where – I assume they're on a dolly. I have no idea. If not, they have a, an amazing guy just walking backwards. Mm-hmm. But it's this scene where they're following Kemp, uh, one of the characters, walking through a house. Yeah. And he's walking forward and the dolly is, or the camera's following him uh, going backwards. And it follows him from one room to another. Mm-hmm. And what's so interesting about this shot, besides the fact that it's, Super impressive because it's probably the longest shot in this film. Oh, yeah. Uh, continuous shot. Is that they've built two different rooms on a stage, and we get to see the camera go through the wall to yeah. show that it's a fake set, which is super, super stage-like. That's not a movie thing to do. Like, most modern movies don't really do that. They don't reveal the fact that you're on a sound stage, But this film does it. it it's... It's very much a thing of um, live theater. You see that sometimes in um, TV shows that are filmed live, where you'll show the fact that it's you know a, not a real room. But that's just a really weird thing for a movie to do. I just thought it was a different room of the house. No, it is a different room in the house. There's a wall. Yeah. The wall is cut off because they didn't make a real room. I assumed there was just a door. Those were connected rooms. No, Kemp walks through the door, closes the door. The camera goes through the wall because there's no wall there. Oh, <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. My thought was, I was like, oh, this is a really weird floor plan. This room's really open. Why did the camera just walk through there? Because the camera's where the wall is. Oh, my God. I'm stupid. Yeah, it's really weird, right? That is weird. Now that I realize what it actually happened. But do you get what I'm saying about, like, stagecraft? Like, yeah. In theater, you do that all the time. Well, yeah, because, yeah, but, well, uh, theater thing. We built a set for, uh, we did a Raisin in the Sun, and we built a set that was multiple rooms, and there would just be a wall, and you would see characters in one room, and then they'd be there would be other characters in the other room, and you could yeah. just see the whole thing, because it was on a, like, placidium stage, so it was, like, you know, big and wide, so you could do multiple rooms and stuff. So, yeah, that stuff's common in stage all the time. Yeah. But weird to see in a movie. No, yeah, in retrospect, now that I understand what I witnessed, <laughs> it is weird. Because sometimes that happens where you'll have a camera go through a wall like that. But to you can see where the wall to cuts off. do it, yeah. It's so weird. And, you know, there's a bunch of early stuff like that. Again, it's a lot more polished than even earlier films. Mm-hmm. So I, you can definitely, like, 
overlook it. But it's still there a little bit because of how old this film is. Uh, with that being said, there's still some really, really impressive stuff that's like, oh my god, I can't believe that shot's in this movie. Uh, the one that really stands out to me is for the beginning of the film, we're at this little pub mm-hmm. in, um, I think it's Ipping. Yeah, I think this whole right. film set in uh, England, but I think right outside London. I, uh, I don't know. Anyways, there's a couple shots, and they're really, really interesting because there's in this stairwell, and they framed it from the very top, so there's this weird vertigo effect. Mm. I just thought those were really interesting. Yeah, there's lots of interesting, cool angles in this film. Because not only is it these long shots, which aren't in this movie almost at all, but you have to remember how big these cameras were, and they had to mm-hmm. hoist it to the top of these stairs. I just thought it was cool. But I think that's all I have to say, like, technique-wise and stuff, if you have anything to add on Oh, that, we yeah. haven't even covered my one of my favorite parts of this film. For techniques? Yeah. Oh, what was it? All the fucking mini stuff they did. Oh yeah. That stuff like that so this is another thing about this film. All the all the practical stuff with like the invisible man all sick, all looks really good. I really enjoyed that part. What I didn't expect was all the stuff with minis. Yeah, minis were a common tool back in the day, and it, it makes sense, right? No, totally. And it allows them to do some really cool creative stuff with stunts that I didn't expect to be able to actually see. The I think the most evident ones is they have a car mm-hmm. golf cliff and yeah it's a mini i think the car actually like falling no yeah they a real car the real car off the cliff but the mini is like showing it rolling down the yeah. hill and stuff well it's like good car explosion good car explosion and then the other one and it's probably one of the most famous scenes of this movie that no one knows about until they've seen the film it's i had no idea it was gonna happen no, no one expects it unless you've heard stuff about this film because it's so unexpected the Invisible Man kills a hundred people in a train crash. He crashes a train. It's, in fact, probably one of the highest body counts of any like Universal monster film. Yeah, but this whole train crash is done in minis, and it's really impressive. It's super cool. They got it ex- like exploding, and there's fires and stuff. Mm-hmm. Love it. Oh, and since we're talking visual effects and stuff, there's also some weird transitions that I think are really impressive. They have some slides and some mm-hmm. fades. Yeah, it's. Again, it's very old school cinema. Mm-hmm. Like it's stuff that's been phased out because it's not naturalistic, and that's more towards what modern cinema like leans. Yeah, but it is just impressive because you have to remember this was done with like actual footage, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and to do stuff like slides and fades with that, especially by hand, is so weird and cool. No, I actually really like the slide cut. Yeah, the, the slide cuts are good. They're they're timed nicely and they feel. N- natural in the way they use them. Yeah. With that being said, I think we can move on from effects into the actual story, if you're okay with that. Sure. And, like, the first thing I want to say, you you didn't seem too, like, into it. No, that's my that's my problem with this movie. Can you tell me why you weren't so into it? It's with how impressive all the visual stuff is, all the Invisible Man stuff. I just don't find the Invisible Man as a character very compelling. Really? That was your problem? And I'm just so just like, oh. Like, the story itself is fine. It's fine. The impressive part of the movie is all the visual stuff, all of the effects, everything else. But the actual, like, story itself is whatever to me. Wow. That's exactly, that's how I feel. I'm just like, "Ah, Because I was going to say, I think the character of the Invisible Man is the most compelling part of this movie. Really? Yeah, because I think it's one of those things that maybe, maybe it's one of those things you don't get on the first watch 
mm-hmm. because you're too astounded by the visual effects. But this this whole story is a tragedy. Yeah. It's a very, very sad story. Uh, essentially, what has happened is Jack Griffin, he's in love with his employer's daughter, and he's a poor chemist, so he, he doesn't make a lot of money. Assumedly, he's from a pretty middle-class family, but not necessarily well off. Mm-hmm. And he's in love with his boss's daughter, but he doesn't feel like he can, you know, marry her unless he has, you know, a way to support her. And so he comes up with this, you know, ingenious plan to create this amazing invention, to, you know, get all these accolades and this money so that he can marry her. And obviously his big plan is to make himself invisible because if he could make someone invisible, that's a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like a big deal, but like imagine World War II if you had invisible soldiers. Yeah. Scary as fuck. I mean, that's a whole bit. He gives a speech about invisible armies in the movie. But like the sad part of all this is because he's doing stuff by himself, because he doesn't have any other options, he ends up essentially accidentally driving himself mad. And a lot of the film's really, really sad because, and this might be me too, because having seen this film before, I get to pay attention for signs. Mm -hmm. And there are some very, very evident signs of him slowly losing himself. And it's just really sad because there's just little things throughout the film that are very, I don't know, indicative of who he was beforehand. Uh, I think one of the biggest scenes in the film uh, that exemplifies this is later on he meets Flora again. And this is, I think, like a month and a couple days after he's uh, turned himself invisible. And the first time he sees her, he has this moment of, oh, Flora, how how could I have forgotten? And he very clearly starts holding his head like he's getting a headache. And it's just this scene of, oh, he is very much not in his right mind. And there's just a bunch of stuff like that throughout. I, I want to give props to uh, Claude Rames because... He does a very, very good job of not only acting insane, mm-hmm. he has this amazing laugh he does. Oh, God, it's maniacal. But I, I don't know if you were paying attention. And again, this might be one of those rewatch things. He does a great job with escalation. Mm-hmm. You can tell the character gets into these little head spaces, and he starts convincing himself of something and then escalates from it. You just mentioned it. He has this rant about his invisible men like leading these armies. And it comes from this little conversation where he's talking the floor and he's like, I did this so I could like help us. Mm-hmm. And it escalates into, I'm going to rule the world with my army of invisible men. And it's funny, but it's, it's so, I just want to say realistic for someone who's just not in their right mind. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think the character is very compelling. Like the story's simple. It's not necessarily, like, a super interesting story. I I think that's my thing, is I'm just not interested or invested in the actual story of the film as much. And I don't know why that is. I couldn't tell you. I'm trying to think of a reason why. But I'm just like, it's fine. Yeah. I I think it's one of those things, though, where I think the characterization on the Invisible Man is very good. It's also just very subtle. Mm -hmm. And so it just gets overplayed by the practical effects. And I, I think the other thing is, like, What's so impressive about the Invisible Man's characterization is most people get characterization through, like, facial expressions or being able to see them act on the screen. 
The Invisible Man doesn't get any of that. Nope. It's all through his voice and his tone. Yeah. And the way he delivers his lines. And some of the insane stuff he does. And some of the insane stuff that you get to see him do, even though he's not really there. Yeah, at the end of the film, he's... Well, at the beginning of the film, he's very harsh. Mm-hmm. Which is really interesting because it's recontextualized later that he's just super stressed. Yeah. And also already not in his right mind. But by the end, he's like giggling all the time and singing. Yeah. And it's such a change. And that's just so impressive, the fact that we get so much from oh, basically nothing. Yeah. I'd be interesting what you'd think on like a second watch, though. Yeah. Because um, I-, I just remember watching it for the first time. It's like, oh, yeah, the practical effects are really impressive, but everything else is kind of okay. That's exactly what I feel. Um, however, on rewatch, it's like, okay, I've seen the practical effects before. They're still very impressive. Let me focus on Claude Rains. I was like, oh, yeah, he's doing great. Great, great job from him. Outside of that, though, I don't really know how much more I want to talk about. I think the only thing we haven't mentioned is the there's police in this. <laughs> they are, you get it tell from Bab laughing. They're very stereotypical, like, goofy British cops, you know. Yeah. And they're very, very they're funny. They're very funny. There's this really chubby uh, cop who they, we just see a lot, and he's just ludicrous, and he, it's great. You know how Ben mentioned that they do that funny thing where they cut to people's faces for expressions? Anytime they cut to a policeman, he's making the most absurd face you've ever seen in your life, and it makes me laugh every single time. It's like they're just going, ooh. It's so stupid. I love it. But yeah, I, I don't really have anything else to say. I think the only the only other thing I really want to talk about, and it's just because I think it's funny, to be honest, is they come up with some absolutely hysterical ways to try and catch the Invisible Man. Oh, yeah, because they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. My favorite one is the Nets. Yeah, they have nets. They don't actually use them to catch the Invisible Man. No. They use it to clear areas. To make sure he's not there. Which I think is much smarter. It's much smarter, but I just I think it's so funny trying to throw a net on an Invisible Man. I, well, they don't do that in this film, so. I know. I don't know why you think that's funny. It is funny. But yeah, they, they have a lot of interesting ways. And I think it's one of those fun parts of this movie where invisibility sounds really cool, but the film makes the point of, yeah, visibility sounds really cool, but there's a lot of shitty things about it yeah it's like besides the fact you can't see yourself there's a lot of ways to give yourself away yeah and it doesn't really explore them all that well but they're really cool so yeah i I think we can move on to recommendations Uh, before we go though there's a really great effect at the end of this movie not gonna say what it was oh at the very very end yeah so cool i think it's gonna be in the outtakes it's gonna be in the outtakes but if you want to listen to those do you want to give your recommendations yeah sure if you're interested in the Universal Monster movies and you've never seen one, this is an okay place to start. I don't really like the term Universal Monster. Mo- like, he's not a mo- well, he is a monster. He's pretty shitty. He's done some horrible things. But when I guess when I think of monster movies, I don't think of the Invisible Man. So this is kind of a cool place to start with that sort of thing. And I, I mean, I like the movie, so. I mean, you have to remember, for Universal Monsters, A, it's obviously the fact that it's from that studio. Sure. And the fact that there are horror movies around this time. A lot of them were creature features. Mm-hmm. So the Invisible Man qualifies because it's like a creature. I know he's technically human, but he's invisible. He's kind of like a creature. Yeah. Um, but it's also the fact that he doesn't behave like a rational person. Sure. And he has weird features. It's the same reason like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde could count, you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, so if you're in- interested in Universal Monster movies and you haven't seen them, this is an okay place to start. I mean, I think it's... If you're not really into the idea of a monster movie, but want to watch something akin to that, give it a shot. Yeah, it, yeah, 
I think it's good. If you're into practical effects, God bless. Old school practical effects. Yeah, they're old school, but they're fucking impressive. Even by today's standards, I'm like pretty amazed at some of the stuff they pulled off. Because I was so worried coming in. I was like, is this going to hold up? Yeah, it does. Even in UHD, like I, it looks really good. Like I don't oh, have it looks any problems. Great in UHD. Yeah, I was worried I would have issues, but I don't at all. That's it. Yeah, I think that's it. Oh, okay. I got two of the same ones as Bob. Obviously, if you want a Universal monster movie, this is one of the really, really big ones. And you know, also if you if you like practical effects and stuff like that, especially old school examples of it, this film's so impressive for that. However, I think my big recommendation, kind of going back to what I said about Claude Rain's performance. If you just kind of want a character piece, and very specifically, it feels like almost like a one-man play with him, kind of what this film is, you know? Yeah. It's it's about this one character and what he does, and you get context from other people, but no one else in this story really matters. So, you know, if a, if a subtle character piece involving basically one character and a bunch of background extras sounds interesting... I think you might like this one. That being said, do you want to give it a rating? Yeah. And here's where I'm at a, at an impasse because I think the overall story beats and everything wise, I think it's fine. Like it's not bad, but it's not it didn't blow me away, but the practical effects are fucking crazy. Oh yeah, they're wild. <laughs> like and I just coming from the perspective of this came out in 1933, they did all this stuff in the period. It's all on film with what they had like the technical skill involved in making this film is crazy, but I was not overly compelled by the story. Like, it's semi-interesting. It has some cool moments. Four and a half. All right. I think that's where I'm sitting. I think I'm going to go with the same, four and a half. Uh, just because I think just for practical effects and stuff alone, it could get to a four. Yeah, for just sure. Because they're just so, so impressive. Just the sheer amount. Mm-hmm. And I, I know how much work had to go into those, especially with how many people are on screen most of the time. Oh, my God. I know they do a lot of these cuts and stuff, but, you know, staging a lot of these effects with people involved, it's just really hard. Mm-hmm. Especially because some of the effects are just people, like, acting like they're being Beaten manhandled. Up. Yeah. And they do a pretty good job. And slapstick, like, that's hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm going to give it that extra half point. I think just for Reigns, he does a great job playing a character yeah. you can't see. I mean, most of his lines are just voice acting. There's tons of ADR. We haven't even talked about that. And yet he does such a great job, like, putting emotion into it and everything. Mm-hmm. His laugh is so haunting. Oh, my God. It's awful. So, yeah, I think four and a half is a good one. Again, it's not the most interesting movie ever. Mm-hmm. Like, I like it, but it isn't the most interesting. Not a lot happens. Yeah. I mean, obviously, stuff happens, but. I mean, sure. It's not like a big overarching like plot. Mm-hmm. It's more of how much havoc can one invisible man cause? Because you know it's this idea of what can you do without laws binding you. But anyways, I th- I think it's very good. Yeah, me too. On that note, though, we're gonna go to the outtakes. Uh, we'll be back in a second. Yeah, we'll see you guys in a minute. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the outtake section for this episode of Beware the Board. I hope you're enjoying our review of The Invisible Man so far. I like this film. I think it's super fun. I think it's a really interesting place to start with Universal Monster movies. But without further ado, let's get in to the outtakes. This first clip is our reaction to the absolutely ridiculous policemen that are everywhere in this film. 
<laughs> What's all this then? Oh my god, what a fucking policeman. That's a Bobby. That's I know. A policeman. This next clip is our reaction to just how good the special effects are in this film and how far they really take them. That's so fucking stupid. Like, look at this. If I saw this in 1933, I'd shit a brick. Especially with the laughing. Yeah. It's, like, awesome. How did they do this? This next clip is us laughing at the cops again. <laughs> God bless <laughs> these cops! Oh, my God. <laughs> can that be the thumbnail? <laughs> if I can find it, he looked like a bulldog. Just him, just, like, coming over that bush. Oh. <laughs> This next clip is our reaction to watching the Invisible Man kill hundreds of people in a train crash. Oh my god. This guy's a fucking maniac. Yeah, this film is one of the highest body counts of any Universal Monster movie. Because of that train sequence. Holy shit. Hi everybody, welcome back. I hope you enjoyed the outtakes. Do we have any announcements? Ben? No. Okay. We just we, we got episodes coming out on Friday, so uh Yeah. See you there. Aside from that though, check us out wherever you get your podcasts. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all their places on the internet. We're also on YouTube, which not the most convenient place for listening to an audio only podcast. But it's kind of nice because you can show us some appreciation there. Send us some likes and some subscriptions. There's also this handy bell button you can flick with your clicker finger. And that'll give you updates whenever we post a new video in case we release something that we uh, forget to tell you about. It happens. Yeah, like back when we were doing a stint of multiple movies a week. YouTube's also nice because it's one of the two main places you can communicate with us at. You can do that in the comment section of a specific video. You have something you want to talk about there. Or you can go over to Twitter, Apple Wear the Board. Go yell at Bob. Talk about how you want to start leading some armies of invisible men into his DMs and just rule the world. Oh, my God. No, don't don't talk to me about invisible men, please. Or do. I mean, I guess whatever. Do as you please. Like Ben said, check us out on Twitter, at Beware the Board. It's where we post updates about the show, information about the show. Basically, if there's anything you want to know about the show, there's always a link on our Twitter. On Mondays, I post a spoiler post for that Friday's episode, which is basically a hidden movie cover that you can reveal so you can watch the movie before we do. So whenever you listen to the episode, you don't get any spoilers and we're being vague about stuff you know what we're talking about. Then on Fridays, or whenever the episode goes up, I post a link to the episode. So if you need a link or want to know when something goes up, there's always one there. Next thing, we're doing short form content. I know I haven't kept my schedule. I've been struggling to find good clips. I've been trying really hard to find stuff but it's kind of hard to find stuff that is within the minute time limit of YouTube shorts that has good bookends. So I've been struggling. I actually, I have a Tucker and Dale clip that I need to run by you before I edit it. Because uh, I'm not going to waste my time if you don't want me to put it on the internet. I think you should waste your time anyways. I mean, fair enough. So if you like short form content and enjoy the show, check us out there on TikTok app or where the board and on YouTube shorts. I think that's it. All right, guys. See you next time. Yeah. We'll uh, see you guys next time. <laughs>